Welcome to the Peace Over Pieces podcast, hosted by Clara Baldwin. Peace Over Pieces is a nonprofit domestic violence organization creating podcasts with victims while providing donations, hotline information, and resources. If you or anyone you know is in need of financial or emotional assistance related to domestic abuse, please visit our website for contact information. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the next episode. Hi, Ashley. Hi. How are you doing? I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on the podcast with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So... I know I didn't write an intro. It's been so hectic lately in my life, but I just like to hop in right away and say that thank you for using your voice on platforms such as TikTok and social media. For people who don't know, I ran across Ashley, um, or you don't even know this yet, but I actually ran across you laying in bed. It was pretty late around midnight and I was scrolling through and I saw all these TikToks of yours that have gone viral recently. And for people who don't know, she uses her voice to show her previous relationship, you know, stigmas of abuse and trying to defeat those and showing a very, very, you know, exposed and vulnerable side of her life. But I just want to say that's super inspiring. And I'm so glad to have you today. Yeah, thank you. That's actually how most people found me, just kind of like scrolling on their For You page. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I'm glad you found my account. Yeah, of course. So let's just start with you. You want to give an intro about yourself, a little bit about you, where you're from? We could go from there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so again, my name is Ashley Van Fossen. I'm 27. I'm from New York. And before becoming a stay-at-home mom in 2019, when I had my first daughter, I was a social media strategist for different record labels and artist management companies in Los Angeles, uh, where I lived for about five years. Um, so my TikTok... Uh, I had never actually really used the platform before. I made one video sometime last year actually about my husband because he, when he was younger, looked a lot like Harry Styles and he would occasionally go viral for that. Oh, really? Yeah. He'd go viral? Yeah. There's the one photo of him in particular looking down and smiling that it's uncanny. Like I had seen the photo before I met my husband and I didn't know that it was him. Like, Oh, really? Yeah. I hadn't connected all of that until my friend recognized him actually after I went on a date with him and sent me his social media. Uh, and at the time, he had around 25,000 Instagram followers. So you basically saw him on social media before you started dating? No. Um, so that was between the first and second date that I discovered his social media. Uh, but we met on Tinder in LA. Oh, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so how long ago was that? How old were you? I was 23, almost 24. And we met uh, November of 2018. Got it. Got it. So you met on Tinder, went on a date. How was that relationship when you first met him? I was casually dating, or, or, you know, at that time. And it, personally, I didn't enjoy it that much. It was just like something to do. And I never really looked forward to dates. Like I always wanted to back out of them. And it, it just... <laughs> mm -hmm. I was bleh, but I saw him like on Tinder and I was like, wow, like this guy's beautiful. Right. Um, right. So it was almost so you were bored though when you met him, you're just kind of forcing yourself because you had nothing else to do or was it something along those lines? It like, I was rarely on Tinder then. Like I would scroll or swipe um, just, just cause, but I wasn't looking for anything. I didn't want a boyfriend. I was happy single. I'd been single for four years intentionally and but when I met him, we didn't really text at all before the date. I didn't want to ruin it with small talk or make him think I was dumb or something. So I just kept it super simple. And I was like, hey, why don't we just meet for drinks uh, in a couple days? And that was it. So you met. And then how many more dates would you say you went on before you guys made it official? 
that's kind of complicated. Um, he was staying over my place like maybe two times a week. And I actually got pregnant within three weeks of us meeting. Oh, wow. And we were not exclusive up until I was around five or six months pregnant. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was super intense. You said three weeks after you met him? Yeah. I have endometriosis. So I was told when I was 16 that I would need reproductive assistance if I ever wanted children. And I had a partner before him for five and a half years. So I just And there was never any scare or anything. So I just took that to be the truth and, uh, you know, surprise. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. I've never heard of that. Um, So when you broke the news to him, what did he say? He actually guessed because he, I, you know, picked him up. I told him I had something to tell him. And he, I guess, could just see it on my face. And he walked out of the room and was obviously very exasperated. But he came back and he was like, okay, what do you want to do? And he stayed over my house for a couple days and, you know, was offering to go to appointments with me. So he made it clear he didn't want to keep the baby within the next couple days or so. But he was really supportive and really present and really there when I told him. Gotcha. So right off the bat, this relationship is, could you say, pretty stressful um, already. So when you made it official, did you move in with each other right away? Or did you kind of just co-parent and work through the process of you being pregnant? Like how, how did this whole relationship unfold? And how did everything happen, I guess, from what we see on the TikToks? Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't seeing other people really, but I knew that he was and it didn't bother me initially because well, we're not exclusive. We didn't want a relationship. So that's okay. And then we started talking about moving in together and we started looking at apartments and it was like, okay, do we get a two bedroom and like have our own rooms or are we going to like give this a shot? And I gave him so much space to kind of work through that himself because I didn't want him to feel like, hey, I'm, I'm keeping your baby and also now I'm pushing you into a relationship like you have to be with me. Right. So yeah, I gave him that space to figure that out. And uh, we moved in together. I think May 1st was the beginning of our lease, but we were like, quote unquote, exclusive the very end of March or the beginning of April. At that point, I already knew we were going to be moving in together. And honestly, I think he talked about getting married before we were even exclusive. So, Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So yeah, you move in and then I'm guessing he develops way stronger feelings for you. And do you develop as strong feelings for him as well? Yeah, I was trying to kind of, I don't know, hedge my expectations. And like I said, give him that space so he didn't feel like super trapped and overwhelmed with the situation. But I was so charmed and so smitten and just like, I've never felt that in my life uh, before him or, you know, obviously since because it's a recent breakup, but it was just extreme and intense. Yeah. Right. Right. So what was that first red flag, would you say, of your relationship? (laughs) Honestly, I was thinking back and we went to Vegas together two weeks after we met, which I mean, wasn't the red flag because I'm a very like spontaneous and fun person and I'll just do things like that. And it was his idea. And I was like, you know, don't, uh, don't mess with me because I'll do it. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So, but when we were in Vegas, uh, we were eating sushi uh, at this place, the Bellagio, I think. And I was kind of, I started crying (laughs) because I I was trying to tell him like, Hey, I'm seriously starting to like develop feelings for you. And Over the course of this dinner, he was telling me, hey, we have no future as a serial monogamist in the past. Like I'm telling you, we are not going to have a relationship. This is not going to work out. This is not going to turn into anything. And I'm not a good person. Really? Mm -hmm. And I decided that meant I can fix him. (laughs) So. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. 
as we all have been there before. So that's interesting because when I see the videos and I'll attach them to uh, the podcast, but as people see like how he acts in those TikToks, very territorial of you and possessive, it looks like. I'm surprised that was, uh, you know, what you're saying is true because you're saying you were so spent for him and he was saying no to you. But yeah, in the videos, it depicts a completely different way. Yeah, he definitely felt the same way. And we've since, you know, talked about it in the beginning of our relationship. And he had equally strong feelings. He just was also, and I didn't know this at the time, but he was very fresh out of another relationship. In fact, she didn't allegedly know that the relationship was over, but she had moved back to the country that she was from. So there was, he told her no longer, it was a whole thing. Um, so he was just, yeah, trying to keep me at a distance while he had his own feelings and, and mine were getting more intense. And Actually, a few days before I found out I was pregnant, I drove to Phoenix from LA to go stay with a friend because I was just trying to clear my head because I was trying to figure out, okay, how and when do I tell this guy I have to stop seeing him because I'm really going to get my feelings hurt. (laughs) No, that makes sense. So when did everything start getting messy, would you say, in your guys' relationship? Um, I would say it was always messy, but really it was like after we moved in together, And I had to stop working because when I'm pregnant, and this has been true now for all three pregnancies, I have hyperemesis, which is just a severe form of morning sickness that lasts the entire pregnancy. I mean, like violently ill, losing weight well into the second and third trimester. Oh my gosh. Yeah, just brutal. So I couldn't keep working and he didn't have a car, but I did. So he had to take my car to work and he was making more money than me. So we decided I would stay home, but... His father, I guess, was in his ear like, hey, this situation's super weird. Like you just got this chick pregnant and you moved in together and suddenly she can't work. Like now she needs to be working. So I was going on a bunch of interviews, but nobody hires somebody that's about to have a baby. Mm, and yeah. like in retrospect, I was even trying to hide my bump by like wearing all black and stuff, but I was 120 pounds. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't hide that. So it started getting messy when... There was one instance in particular where it was nighttime and I had just gotten turned down for another job that I was well overqualified for, but they knew I was about to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was standing in the living room and I remember sobbing and he was so, so angry and telling me that I'm pathetic and how the hell do I expect to be able to support my children if I can't even go get a job and I'm just using him and... Uh, just all of these other things. And also uh, he would withhold affection as punishment. So that was part of it. And that was like the first time it was really bad. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is terrible. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, Was it physical as well or mostly emotional abuse? That wasn't physical then. um, And he has not ever been physical with me while pregnant, but there was physical abuse uh, twice and both times I Uh, there are police reports and he was convicted the first offense and then the second one he is actively skipping court for currently oh wow so that will turn into a warrant within the next few weeks obviously emotional abuse is intense enough and it's terrible the toll it can take on you and make you feel trapped but i guess we can go into when did he get physical as well and just overview all the things that were going on with the abuse and yeah uh so The first time he was physical with me was uh, March of 2020. So our first daughter was six months old and I was not yet pregnant again. And we got into an argument because he had gone to a bachelor party 
a few months prior. And that wasn't the issue. But, uh, you know, of course, he maintains that he never cheated on me. And I do believe him solely because I listened in on a conversation of him in the in the groom and he said that he didn't and he didn't know I was listening so that's the only reason I believe it but mm-hmm. otherwise I found out you know about strippers and there were waitresses and he was texting girls and he was on tinder and things like that so uh, not that none of that is cheating I, I guess it just depends on your personal relationship and what you define as cheating but he didn't physically do anything to my knowledge so we were arguing about that and it just escalated really badly i at one point he told me he was going to call the police and make it so i would never see my baby again because i am diagnosed bipolar so he would use that like as a threat like i'll tell them you're being insane and they're going to take your baby Mm, terrible Uh, yeah so i took his phone and hit it and that really kind of pushed him over the edge and it had been escalating all night for like hours and he had been drinking and he was wearing a hoodie uh his hoodie and he came up and grabbed me by the front of the hoodie strings and or the front of the hoodie and pushed me to the ground. So I was on top of my knees, kind of like face down. Mm -hmm. My legs were tucked under me and he was over top of me uh, and just pulling really, really tight on the hoodie strings and telling me he was going to tighten it till I couldn't breathe anymore and that he was going to kill me. And, you know, and that went on for like a few minutes. Uh, So as soon as he got off of me, I picked my daughter up because she was 10 feet away from us when this happened. Oh, my gosh. And I picked her up and I went outside and called the police. He admitted it. So they, yeah, they they booked him and he was charged and uh, sentenced almost two years later. It dragged on forever. But Wow. Wow. So, yeah, that's super intense. Um, I see, like, through your TikTok, previous memories of you guys and you show stigmas on there with kind of the background of what looks happy um, with you guys. And I guess we could touch on that topic, like the the power of social media and also, I guess, the veil of it. And so like how people look so happy, you know, in many eyes, but behind closed doors, it's so different. And I saw a question on one of your TikToks where it was like, why did you have more children with him if you you know, posting all this stuff about him and the abuse. What would you say to those people? This most recent pregnancy was unplanned. I am around 16 weeks now with our first son. And I didn't find out that I was pregnant till the day he was arrested. Oh, wow. Yeah, I found out and, you know, like hours after they booked him. So I didn't, you know, tell him myself, like we weren't trying. I would use ovulation tracking and like take plan B if necessary. But because things were so bad and so crazy, I just missed it this particular month. And then I was going to terminate because of my whole situation, like being so scared to do this alone. But after Mm -hmm. being on my own for a couple months, I was like, oh, okay, you know what? No, I want to keep this baby. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. And you should be proud of that. I get really frustrated when there's questions like that. Just like almost, you don't have to explain to anybody because it's such a complex thing to be in and... It's hard enough to be in that situation, let alone people questioning you and you having to, you know, prove a point of like why the abuse is not justified or anything from your end. But like, I mean, my mom, for example, she she left my dad after my brother, the firstborn, and then came back, had another baby, left like six times more, came back, had another baby. So it's extremely common. And I just want, you know, like the audience to realize this is a very complex situation where you feel 
you feel like it's a never ending trap almost of manipulation. It could be other causes too, but it's definitely not uncommon. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have to say in my situation in particular, which I know this is another very common thing in abusive relationships, specifically with narcissists, but there was no reproductive coercion. There was no sexual assault or anything like that. Like I said, she was a very much a surprise. And then our second daughter, she was planned. And that did happen after the first arrest. And I still kind of have trouble reconciling that in my own mind. Like, why did I even? But it's, right. it's so hard to explain because obviously, despite me exposing him and posting all of this, it wasn't all bad, <laughs> you know? Right. Of course. Of course. I mean, that's honestly one of the hugest elements in all abusive relationships. It's like the highest are really, really intense and high and the lowest are like so low you can't even explain it to people. So it's it's a weird psychological thing going on, but it's it's not uncommon. So we'll go back to your relationship. What was the tipping point for you? Uh, so this was a couple days, 10 days after the second assault. And I had plenty of evidence, audio from that night, him telling me he's going to kill me and him verbatim admitting, I have this audio posted on my Twitter. I think TikTok would take it down verbatim, him admitting to exactly what is in the police report. And I heard, we got into like a, just another blowout argument and our toddler who is hyperverbal was there for all of this. So mm -hmm. I was just, uh, but so I walked away. He took the toddler into his office and I came back out to listen in and I heard him on the phone with the only local psychiatric hospital that doesn't voluntary holds. And he was telling them that I, you know, my wife is bipolar and she is having a psychotic break and I'm really worried she's going to hurt herself or our kids. So I was at this point, I was calm. I, I had been asking him to leave the house calmly, but, you know, it's something he was going to use against me to scare me and get the kids, I guess, taken from me. So I went and called the police just to tell them that, hey, uh, I just want this documented. I'm perfectly calm right now. I'm asking my husband to leave the house. I tried to report an assault earlier that day, but I didn't have the audio. I couldn't find it. So they didn't arrest him. So I was telling them like, you kind of came here and escalated the situation by not listening to me. Uh, so I just wanted it on record that if he does attempt to have me committed against my will, I'm not having an episode. I just want him to leave the house. Right. And right. it was a female officer that answered the phone this time. So she went through the call log and she was like, I see here, you said you had audio that you couldn't find of him admitting to what he did because when we came, he said he didn't do it. So we couldn't take him. But do you have that audio now? I was like, you know what? Yeah, I did. I, I do have it. I found it earlier after you guys left. So they came and listened to it uh, and decided to book him. Um, but like in the midst of all this, of me asking him to leave again, and I have audio of this too. He was telling me to slit my wrists and calling me fat and all this other stuff just in front of our two-year-old. Oh my gosh. So typical narcissist who's using your mental health against you as well, trying to make you look like the crazy one instead. Yeah, which my like my bipolar is is very managed. I see, you know, a psychiatrist multiple like two times a month just to stay on top of my mental health. And, you know, I, I manage it with medication. And so it's not been like an issue really ever, except for in fights with him. Gotcha. So how did you leave the situation after your tipping point? So 
in calling when I called them and told them, oh, I do have, and they asked if I had the audio now. They were like, okay, can you meet me down the street and play this audio for me so we can, you know, have some privacy so we're not at your house. So I went and met them. And like I said, they decided to book him. So once they took him, it was around, I don't know, one or two in the morning at that point. I uh, think I just maybe went to sleep. But then the next morning, uh, my best friend flew out from Virginia and helped me pack and take care of the girls. And then I had some family come and help me rent a Suburban. And I packed it with everything that we could fit. And while he was in custody, um, and his parents did bail him out uh, mm-hmm. within, I think, two days or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he couldn't come to the house because of the order of protection I had been granted. So I just, while he was still in custody and then while he was staying at a friend's house nearby, I just packed everything and we left. So did you go live with friends, family after that for a while or did you get your own place? I did go stay with family for a minute, but, you know, I left New York for a reason and it wasn't just to go work in music. Like I, I've always been kind of the black sheep. Uh, I don't fit in well with my family. It's hard to really explain why because I don't want to just you know get on and and denigrate them because it's not about that but I did not feel welcomed I did not feel supported nobody really under like they were constantly telling why are you wasting money on an attorney like they just didn't get it my goodness yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I get that so overall would you say like after this breakup and escaping it felt very isolating for you extremely yeah because it was a very weird dissonance in because he had been the only person that I had for three years. So I wanted to turn to him and cry about it. But, you know, he was... It can be the hardest when, you know, a victim leaves because normally they are in no financial reach for themselves. They have no money. They sometimes don't have family or friends. So it's, it's another reason why people don't leave in general and stay in abusive relationships. It's the thought of your life afterwards and how lost you'll feel, especially if you're used to that person for years and years. So how did you pull yourself together after you left the situation? I guess what advice would you give to survivors who are listening to this, um, who are maybe going through a hard time or just left their relationships? We have a lot of those people who listen to our podcast. Like, What would you tell them on you know, staying strong and what advice do you give them after they leave, like what to do? What I did to stay strong was really focus my energy on, you know, my kids. And like, you know, I didn't have the option to just sit in bed and be depressed and cry, which is the only thing that you feel at that time. And I wanted to so badly, but like, I couldn't. Right. Uh, So I had to pull myself up and I found support in, you know, everybody that started following me on TikTok and all of my closest friends. And there is some of my family that I'm still very, very close with. So they were there for me. So that was the most important thing was not perpetuating the isolation that he kind of created for me in the first place. I just was like, okay, I need to, as much as I just want to wallow, I can't do it. Uh, It's not an option right now. So I did that. And like to somebody that just left, you know, and everybody probably says the same exact thing. Like it will get better in time. Uh, But truly like the first two weeks or so, I thought I was going to die. I like felt like I couldn't breathe without him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, he'd be right about all the horrible things he said and that I'd fail and I'm a terrible mother and But you know what? Once you're away from that person and you're not hearing those things every day and you start realizing how capable you are yourself, it 
it does feel like way better. So yeah, it really just does take time. And I'm only, you know, two and a half months out, almost three months out now. And I have really hard days still where I miss him, but overall I feel great. That's amazing. And it's only been a few months for you since you left and you have built such a huge platform for people who are going through this. And I don't know, I just find it very inspiring. So thank you for coming on so fresh out of this situation, you know, and I, I was going to touch on how I think someone was on this podcast a long time ago and they're saying leaving an abusive relationship is like being addicted to the worst food in the world, like junk food. And your body just craves it and craves it and craves it. And you have withdrawals. And then once you're away from it, you're like, why did I ever eat that food? And I'll never need it again, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I guess closing up, on the other hand, is there any advice on finding, you know, healthy relationships, happy relationships, whether that be with friends, significant others? Like, what are you looking for eventually when you're ready? Obviously, it's too fresh now. But like, what are you searching for in healthy relationships now? I would say seek people that are going to be there for you, but that aren't just necessarily going to give you confirmation bias. So you need that person in your life that's telling you your partner is not good for you because they see it for a reason, mm-hmm. even if you can't. I love that. Really, none of my friends liked him. And, you know, it got to a point where I was, I also did not. So I was like siding with them, but especially earlier on, I didn't get it. I was like, why do you not like him? And they're like, you're not yourself. Like you're not, I don't know, so happy and so confident now. And yeah, not someone that's just going to like, you know, blow smoke up your ass, but someone (laughs) that'll be honest with you and that will be there for you when you are ready to leave because you have to make that decision yourself. Yeah. I really like that. That's a point that's never been brought up on the podcast, but I guess paying attention to your external friend groups and family and seeing how they react to your partner is super important. And you know, being aware that they're saying those things for a reason. They probably don't want to see you unhappy. They want to see you with your partner and being happy. But if they have the, you know, the courage to tell you that, it's it's probably a big red flag. So that's a good point. To wrap up, um, I just want to ask you one more question. If you could offer a young Ashley some advice on navigating life, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, uh, young Ashley, I would tell her... Um, to not fall for it or excuse it just because he's handsome and charming and smart. (laughs) And I wish I had not let anybody convince me that I was inadequate or stupid or less than. And to, you know, I wish I had believed him when he told me who he was in Vegas. And to stop wanting to be loved so badly that I accept anything less than I deserve because I cannot fix him and it is not my job to. Uh, so those are things I think I, I, I wish I had known before I met him. I love that. I love that you started kind of, I mean, I don't like how you start bashing yourself in the beginning. I love how you turned it into, you know, you deserve more. You weren't the things he said. That is a huge point for everyone in abusive relationships. They can, they come out of these relationships super insecure, believing all these things. And then eventually you realize your worth. So I hope every day you do realize that you are none of those things. And thank you for sharing your voice on that platform for people listening. I will link her TikTok, Instagram, everything. Um, she also has a GoFundMe and a donation to, you know, help her get out of this, you know, transition and get her back to normal life. So Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, and again, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you.